Hey, New Life Church, Bronson Duke here. Thanks for listening in. The heart of our church is that you would know Jesus, that you would walk with Jesus, and you would learn how to live like he lived. We hope that this message equips you and empowers you on your journey walking with Jesus. This is from Mark uh, chapter 16. Saturday evening when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus's body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for for us from the entrance to the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in, in a white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked, but the angel said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. He was risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. The women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, and God, we thank you for the gift of your church. God, we thank you that we don't have to go through life alone, but God, we have each other. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we believe that you're the creator of all things. You sent Jesus to redeem all things, and you sent us the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, to lead us into life and to enable us to live it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said? Amen. Come on, all God's people said? Amen. Amen. Hey, you can have a seat. Uh, my name is Bronson. If, if you're new to our community, you're new to our church, we want to say welcome. We're excited that you're here. Um, it is Easter Sunday, and um, we're celebrating the resurrection. And the resurrection, to put it simply, is Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Now, here's what I know. There are a varying array of beliefs in the room around that. I know that there are some of us who it's like that's our deepest source of joy. For some of us, it's like our deepest source of skepticism and yeah, right, okay? That's what I know. And here's what I also know. Some of us who are here, we're just like leaning in. We're excited. Some of us who are here, we're like, my friend like bribed me to come, and they promised that they were going to buy me lunch after this, so make it quick, okay? I'm going to do my best. But what, what I want to submit to you is that the truth of Jesus' resurrection is the greatest truth in the world. It is history-changing. We're going to look at that here in a second, but resurrection isn't just written into the pages of history. It's written into the very fabric of our world. Think about it. Every spring is a reminder that the stories are true. Every spring is a reminder that life can break out in dead places. I was looking at it this morning. It's like over the matter of weeks, it's like everything has gone from dry and dead to beautiful and green, and the flowers are blooming, and it's Master's Week. Amen? It it is so hard to believe in winter when everything is barren that life can spring forth. And here's what I know. For some of us, we're in a season of winter, For some of us, we're in a season of joy, but for some of us, there's a lot of pain. Like, and the resurrection feels unbelievable when we're surrounded in disappointment, we're going through suffering, we're in pain, we're dealing with bitterness and anger and shame. But every year, 
spring comes, it reminds us that new life is born out of dead places. Here's what I know. For some of us, we lost a lot this year. I lost a family member in January. I know what that pain feels like, the ache that things aren't as they should be. Some of us lost jobs, have broken relationships. Last week, some of us lost apartments and homes, all right? Cars. And there's like this grief around that, right? But God is the God who redeems brokenness. God is the God who doesn't waste the broken things we go through. Martin Luther said this. He said, Our Lord has written the promise of resurrection, not in the books of alone, alone, but in every leaf of springtime. Here's what I know. That sounds great, right? Like, that sounds beautiful, and it's eloquent, but what does it actually mean? Have you ever sat back and asked that question? Like, practically, like in my day-to-day life, the gospel sounds great, but how does it actually play out? That's what we're going to look at this morning. And so if you're from our community, you know I'm about to give you a thesis, a list of books, a sermon title, and I'm going to tell you a story. So that's what's about to happen, all right? Uh, My thesis this morning is that the resurrection of Jesus means peace for our souls, purpose for our lives, and hope for our futures. It means peace for our souls, purpose for our lives, and hope for the future. Uh, recommended reading or movie watching, it's the same as last week, if you were here last week. Uh, there's a book by Tim Keller called Jesus the King. Uh, if you're looking for reading this spring, it is one of the most razor-sharp gospel presentations you're ever going to read. And there's a, a, a movie that's actually also a book called The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh, last night, we, we got to the scene where Aslan uh, rose from the dead, and he redeemed Edmund, and it's beautiful. And it's it's basically the gospel story. It's amazing. You can share it with your family. Uh, but my sermon title is this, and this is what we're going to dig into, that the stories are true. Here's the truth. Uh, I wonder if anybody can relate to this. For me, in my life, more often than not, triumph has started out like tragedy. If you know my story, if you're from our church, you've heard me tell it a thousand times, I got Fresh Prince when I was 17. Oh, some of you don't know. I got in a little trouble. My mom got scared. She sent me to live in Columbus, Ohio with my auntie and uncle, okay? Um, And what happened is I was dealing with drug addiction and all different sorts of things. And in that moment, y'all, it was tragedy for me. Like, there was loss. There were things that I had to let go of. But in that letting go, God redeemed. For me, the good news is that I met Jesus, the real Jesus, who didn't just want me to get to heaven one day, but wanted to transform my life. Friday, we were looking at tragedy. The hero died screaming. Now, I just want to take a second here. This is one of the greatest proofs for the resurrection. If you're making up a story, you don't have the hero die naked and screaming, okay? That's just not what you do. If you look at all of the other uh, religious narratives, whenever the hero dies or the religious figure dies, they die in control, they die serenely, and they die with beautiful last words. Jesus' last words were, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What we see is a picture like we don't see in any other religion in the world is that Christ died in agony And the gospel is the story of tragedy that becomes triumph, that death gets overcome. 
We entered into this tragedy on Friday. We looked at the execution. We considered the loss. And, you know, many of us have felt deep loss. But, but here's the truth. This is the most obvious Easter point that you've ever been given. Point number one, Jesus rose from the dead, okay? If you're taking notes, Jesus rose from the dead. Let's look at this together. Mark 16, 1. Saturday evening when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, the mother of James and Salome, went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early Sunday morning at sunrise, they went to the tomb. And on the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us at the entrance of the tomb? But when they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which is very large, had been rolled aside. Okay, something that's always bothered me in this text is why didn't Jesus just walk out of the tomb? Like, why didn't he walk through the stone? Have you ever thought about that? In John 20, it says this. It says, that evening, Sunday, the disciples were meeting behind the locked doors, and they were afraid of the Jewish leaders, and suddenly Jesus was standing with them. So Christ in his resurrected form, now, again, there's a lot here, but what we can gather from that is the resurrected Christ could walk through walls, okay? So if he could do that, why didn't he just walk out and be like, yo, what's up? Like, I'm back, okay? Let's do this thing. Here's what I believe. The stone wasn't rolled away so that Christ could get out. It was rolled away so that we could look in. It was rolled away so that we could see the evidence that Christ had died. Have you ever had somebody in your life who just wouldn't let you ask questions? Like a boss or somebody like that, like they don't want to hear your questions. It's the most annoying thing in the entire world. Like for me, I've been an incessant question asker. Any parents, your kids just never stop asking questions. They, they, they ask questions at such a rapid click that they don't wait for the answer before they're asking another question. Anybody like that? Okay, my dad says that's how I was. I still don't quite know how a carburetor works, all right? But I stood by him while he fixed cars and asked him a thousand questions. You know, I had a teacher in high school that every time I came in the room, uh, she'd say, not, not, not now, Branson. <laughs> she'd say, she'd go, not today, Branson. And that's not even my name. My name is Bronson, you know? <laughs> uh, you know, for some of us, like, this is our view of God. And it's because of the way that things have been framed and presented to us. Like, you have legitimate questions, but maybe in church it's been presented, like, if you ask questions, like, somehow that's going to destroy your faith. But here's what I've found. Christ can handle our question asking. He loves when we investigate. He loves when we look inside the tomb to try to figure out what's going on. Y'all, that is such good news. Here's the truth. For some of us, like the first time you heard the gospel, you were like, yes, that's it. Like, I believe it. But for others of us, we, we've had to wrestle with this. Like, there's things in the story that are, are difficult to grasp. Here's what I want to submit to you. Christ is calling you over, and he wants you to investigate. Christ doesn't want you to go through life with blind faith. I actually believe that's quite a dishonest way to go through life. There's revelation. There's intimacy that happens when you search someone out. That, that's what relationship looks like. What we see in the scriptures is the disciple Thomas had questions. How would you like to be remembered as doubting Thomas? Well, you know what? He was remembered, right? It's not bad. He had doubts. He wanted to see the evidence. He wanted to stick his hands in the, or his finger in the hole in Jesus' hand. He was honest about his lack of belief. And so 
Here's what I want to invite you to do. If you're in a place in life where you're not quite sure what you believe, lean into that. What you believe, your worldview shapes everything about your life. It shapes the way that you interact in relationships. It shapes the way that you give dignity to other people. And so what I want to submit to you guys this morning, what I want to challenge you with on Easter is be people who live inquisitively and who live curiously and ask God the hard questions. God loves it when we bring him hard questions. Why? Because the story holds up. Here's what I'm submitting to you this morning. The stories are true. The legends of Jesus are more than mythology. It is a revelation on how our world works, how relationships are to work. Eugene Peterson said about the Gospel of John, he said, he said you can call it many things, but you can't simply write it off as a story. He said it has the deep power to give meaning to the human experience and for us to understand life. So here's the story. I'm going to present it to you in three acts, okay? Act one. This is the perfect life in teaching of Jesus. This is where we see him fulfill the prophecy that God would come and walk among us. We talk about this at Christmas. That's Emmanuel. It means God with us. We saw miracles in teaching that turned the world on its head. We saw him heal the sick and liberate and give value to the social outcasts and the oppressed and to declare God's goodness in the midst of religious misrepresentation. Y'all, that is a whole word for the world that we live in. Act two. All right, so that's Act 1. That's the beginning of the story. Act 2, we see those in power respond to the message. This act begins in the Garden of Gethsemane, the moment when Jesus the betrayer kissed our Lord. And the soldier said, dude, you can just point at him. And Judas applied his lip balm and replied, I'll do my job and you do yours. I'm conjecturing. But it ended with Jesus being nailed to the cross, the instrument of choice for the Romans when putting down those who would challenge their power. Y'all, if you think about this just for a second, we're going to move to Act 3 in a moment. But if you think about this for a second, the cross, which for us is a symbol of life, in first century Roman-occupied Palestine, this was an electric chair. All right? So if you think about this, like, the, the, the things that we wear around our necks were originally desi de designed as torture devices, as death devices. But what Christ did, and I, I want to speak this into your life, what Christ did is he took something that was meant for death and he brought it to be a symbol of hope and life for all men and all women. And, and here's what I want to tell you. Some of you guys, you, you're going through serious pain right now. You've got pain in your relationships. You've got areas in your life that feel dead. Like for some of you guys, your relationship with your kids feels dead. Your relationship with your spouse, maybe here with you, feels dead. Your career feels dead. Your reputation feels dead. And here's what I want to submit to you. Here's what I want to offer to you. This is the offer on the table from Jesus. He can bring dead things to life. If you bring him those dead places, he can give them purpose and meaning. And listen, your suffering can be a signpost of the goodness of what God can do in a life. For me, my story is that I came from a broken home with a father who battled addiction. We had all kinds of abuses and things like that in the home. I, I started doing drugs when I was about 14 years old. 
started taking pain pills. Anybody else? Just kidding. Don't raise your hand. (laughs) And for me, when I did that, it was like the first time I'd felt peace in life. And so I started chasing that. Well, after about three years, this turned into a debilitating addiction because who knows that things like this always start out good. They offer you everything and they ask of you nothing. But in the end, it offers you nothing and it asks of you everything, right? This is what happened for me. But now I get to share that story because of part three. Part three, this is the best part. After they buried him in the tomb, he resurrected. Jesus resurrected and rose from the dead on the third day. Here's what that means. N.T. Wright said it this way. He said that death is the last weapon of the tyrant. What, What the resurrection is, is that our systems of the world, the ultimate thing they can bring against you, which is death, no longer have power. All right? So what does that mean for you? That means in the areas of struggling and pain in your life, Christ has taken the power. Colossians actually says Christ has marched death naked through the streets, which is just an amazing, like, ballin' outline. Like, that, that, that's authority, right? And he says he's taken that authority away from death, and he's brought you life. Y'all, here's the truth. We can, I talked about this a second ago. Let's engage with the resurrection again. Some of us, we have doubts around the resurrection. There's all kinds of reasons for this. But I, I want to give you four things, four things just to consider. Th- this is why I believe in the resurrection. Number one, after Jesus died, the movement took over the world. Anybody watch the Waco documentary? Y'all watch that? This is like our most recent person who claimed to be the Messiah, uh, David Koresh. But when David Koresh died, the movement died with him, Right? If you look back at the first century, y'all, there were dozens of messianic movements. And when the leader died, the movement died. But when Jesus died, the movement exploded. What does that tell us? That tells us that something happened, right? Number two, the primary witnesses to the resurrection. Anybody catch who the two primary witnesses were? If you caught it, you're going to get two gold stars. Yell it out. Women, that's right. You know what women couldn't do in the first century, whether we like it or not? Testify. Their testimonies were not valid in court. Okay, when you are making up a story, you do not use people who cannot testify in court, right? You just don't do that. So what can we conclude from that? There's truth to the story. Number three, Marius and I were talking about this in the office before this. All of history. We're in 2023. Why? Because of the life of Jesus. And then lastly, for me, and, and I don't expect this to convince anyone, but for me, my life was absolutely transformed by the person and the life of Jesus. For me, it has been a continual thing in my life. And so a question for you before we move on to two and three is, are there things in your life that you need Jesus to resurrect? If you, if you don't lean on Jesus for resurrection and for life, for the dead places in your life, I just want to ask you a simple question. How's it going? It's a legitimate question. How's it working for you? And if it's not working, could you consider, could you come to Christ, ask him questions, perhaps receive everything you've been looking for? Number two, number one, Jesus rose from the... Just nailing it on Easter. Okay, number two. 
Jesus rose, why? To redeem people. Jesus rose to redeem people. Mark 16, five through seven. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in white robes sitting on the right side, and the women were shocked, but the angel said, don't be alarmed, you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here, he's risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now notice this. Now go and tell his disciples, what? Including Peter, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee, and you'll see him there. Have you ever gotten like so caught up in emotional moment or like in the heat of a moment that you did something that if somebody told you you did that thing later, you would never have believed it? Uh, a couple years ago, I can't believe I'm going to tell this story. <laughs> Callie was like, don't tell it. Oh, I'm, I'm going to tell it. Just have a little confession time. This is going to be th- cathartic for me. Um, we had our, our staff from around the state, which if you don't know this, we've got about 17, 18 churches around the state, and we come together from time to time. There's about 400 people. And we're at our Conway Church, and the, the auditorium at our Conway Church is about 2,000 seats, so it's probably like eight times the size of this room, okay? And so we'd moved some seats out, and we were playing uh, knockout. You all know what knockout is? All right, the 13-year-old in me rose up, and I was ready to compete, okay? So there are like 70 people in line. I get to the, you know, the, the line there, and just, you know, nothing but net, of course. And uh, I go up, I'm getting the ball, and y'all, I just get smashed in the back of the head with a basketball. And I turn around, and one of our pastors, this guy named Lauren Foster, is just grinning like the Cheshire cat, all right? And I was like, okay. Like, that's how this is going to be. Noted. I get back in line. There's about 40, 50 people in line at this point. About seven to eight minutes later, we get back to the front, okay? I shoot, nothing but net, of course, and get the ball, and I turn around, y'all, and I stink and crow hop and, and smash him in the face with this basketball. Like, I hit him harder in the face of the basketball than anybody's ever been hit. And that basketball, I'm not kidding, it bounced from like that wall to that wall. It bounced all the way across the sanctuary. And everybody goes, ooh. And you know, you know when you do something and you can just tell you've gone too far? <laughs> So Foster attacks me, all right, like full on like tackles me. I'm laughing, like trying to push him off. But I can tell in the room, like this has not gone over well. And so I go over to the side and I'm standing there. I'm kind of laughing and somebody kind of ekes over to me and is like, that was, that was a bit much, huh? And I was like, I mean, you saw him. Like he's a fool. He hit me with a basketball. He goes, dude, I saw him airball and accidentally hit you with a basketball it gets worse. Foster uh, was battling cancer at the time. <laughs> and uh, my boss came up to me and was like red in the face. And he's like, I don't know how you're going to make up for this. He goes, I've never been more disappointed in you. <laughs> and he walks off. And y'all, I was just so embarrassed. Like every time I came into the room, like for, a, you know, like six months, I was embarrassed. You know, like everybody remembers, like, yeah, smash the guy with cancer in the face of the basketball. Who does that? This guy. Uh, you know, here's the reality. Yeah, you're pastor. This is like a fraction of what, the, of, of what Peter would have felt. 
just think about it. Like, Christ told him. He's like, I told you, you're going to deny me. And he was like, everyone else will deny you. I won't do it. And what happens? Christ starts going through turmoil, and a little girl <laughs> comes up to Peter. He's like, hey, weren't you with, weren't you with Jesus? He's like, not me. He can't even stand up to a little girl. And it says that Christ looked him in the eye and he wept and wept bitterly. Here's the reality. This shows the radical love and restorative power of Jesus. He says, go and get the disciples, but he doesn't just say go and get the disciples. He says, make sure you get Peter because he knows the weight that Peter's carrying. Here's what I know. A lot of us in here are carrying the weight of failure. You're carrying the weight of addictions. You're carrying the weight of things that you said. You're carrying the weight of things that you did at work. You're carrying the weight of previous marriages. You're carrying the weight of things you did, like when your kid was young, just keeps coming to mind. Here's what I want to offer. This is the offer of Easter, is that Christ, no matter what you have done, he came to restore and to redeem people. If you go in and you look at the full account of Peter's restoration, it's beautiful in John 21, but he keeps asking him, Peter, do you love me? But actually, if you notice, he doesn't call him Peter. He calls him Simon. This is what Bruce Milne says. He says, note that Jesus doesn't address him as Peter, the rock that he was gonna build the church on, for he has failed to live up to that name. Jesus is facing Peter with his own limitations, so he may entrust himself in a new way to Christ's leadership. Simon on his own will always be Simon. He had no capacity to rise beyond that. But Simon trusting in Jesus is Peter the rock, whose witness and leadership the church will receive as its earliest foundation. You know, here's the reality. If you've been fighting stuff, I know what this feels like. I know what it feels like to have battles and say, I'm never going to rise above this. On your own, you won't. But what the resurrection of Jesus tells us is that with Christ, you can. And not just can you overcome your struggles and your strongholds, but you can actually go out and bless other people. Rita Snowden said this. She said, you asked me what forgiveness means, It's the wonder of being trusted again by God in the place where I disgraced him. Listen, that could hit you, and that could hit you with heaviness, or that could hit you with hope. God is the God who doesn't look at you for success. He's the God who looks to you and says, I want to give you a second chance. Listen, Jesus didn't just come to do away with doubt. He came to restore broken lives. So I'll ask again, what are the places in you where today, y'all listen, this radical shift can happen in a moment where you just say, hey, I'm not going to depend on myself because that has not worked out of me, but I'm going to depend on Christ. N.T. Wright said this, he says, hope for the Christian is not wishful thinking or blind optimism. It's a mode of knowing 
a mode with, within which new things are possible, options are not shut down, and new creation. Everyone say new creation. New creation can happen. It's not optimism. Y'all listen. Our world is filled. Instagram or TikTok, I'm not on there. I can't do it. TikTok is like meth, all right, for millennials. It's millennial meth, all right? Can't handle it. It's too much, all right? Instagram's too much for me. Um, but there's all this, this messaging that tries to take failure and just be optimistic about it and be like, oh, well, it's just an opportunity for a new beginning. It's like, no, you failed, you know? Like, sometimes when we go through life, we don't need to spin it. We need to look it dead in the face. And we need to say, I failed. For, for Peter, if you go study the story in John 21, Christ called out to him, but Peter had to jump out of the boat. He, he had to jump out of the boat. He had to recognize his sin. He had to bring it to Christ so that Christ could restore it. You know, Christ doesn't offer optimism. He offers hope. And it's very different. Optimism is just psychological. Hope is theological. Like it's something that you can hold on to. Optimism is believing in yourself. Hope is believing in God. Something beyond yourself. Optimism is what you think you can do. Hope is what you think God can do with you. Optimism is often a denial of reality. Positive thinking, it's just denying the facts. Hope doesn't do that. Hope always looks in the face of reality and says, yup, it's really bad. <laughs> like, this is bad, but it's not the end. Hope is what you get when you suddenly realize that a different worldview is possible. A worldview in which the rich, the powerful, and the unscrupulous do not, after all, have the last word. The same worldview shift that is demanded by the resurrection of Jesus is the shift that will enable us to transform the world. Number one, Jesus rose from the dead. Why did he raise from the dead? Jesus rose from the dead to redeem hurting people. Number three, if all that is true, Jesus rose from the dead to bring heaven to earth. Mark 16, verse 15. He said this, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. For whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Yo, this idea of like heaven on earth, doesn't that sound like so lofty? Right? Anybody? It just sounds like, yeah, okay, like that sounds good. Heaven on earth, you know, what the heck does that even mean? We had a tornado last week. Yeah, see you there, you know. Well, here's what Christ is doing. Christ is remaking the world. Like this is, this is the brass, bare bones of the gospel. What, what Christ did was not come to offer us an addition to our world, but to come in and remake our world. What Christ is doing, what Christ is saying, they're having so much fun. <laughs> what Christ is doing and Christ is saying is that he's come as the true king of the world. He's come to redeem and restore and to turn everything on its head. Look at this in Isaiah 11. We're going to close here. It says this. It says, Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of 
knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance, nor will he make decision based on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor. He will make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word, and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. He will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. In that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat, and the calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion. And the little child will lead them all. The cow will graze near the bear, and the cub and the calf will lay down together, and the lion will eat hay with the cow, and the baby will play safely near a cobra. Yes, a little child would put its hands in the nest of a deadly snake without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. As for the waters, as the, for as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. You know, here's the picture. Here, here's the New Testament picture. And this is what I, I want to invite you into. Uh, invite you to celebrate or invite you to participate in. The church is the first fruit, the first picture of the new creation. You know, the church has to be the place where the prostitute and the CEO can eat at the same table. The church has to be the place where the person who lives in the gutter can eat with the person who lives in the high rise. The church has to be the place where people who've done unspeakable things, horrible things, can be loved and redeemed and given mercy and forgiven. Why? Because Christ is making all things new, and he starts with the church. And so here's what I want to say to you, offer to you. I don't know how this has been presented to you in the past, but often the gospel presentation goes like this. If you believe in Jesus, you'll go to heaven when you die, right? Anybody sign up for that? We're all in the South. Who went to youth camp and was like, hell sounds bad. I'll take some heaven. Here's the issue. And you just don't read this in the New Testament. The issue with that is that brings absolutely no change to your life today. The gospel is not merely the minimum requirement to get you into heaven. It is the power of God to change your life today. And what God is doing is God is inviting a family together across the earth into this new creation. And he starts with the renovation of the human heart. And so here's what I know. There are some of us in here who are like, you're closer to God than you've ever been. Praise God. Amazing. There's some of us in here, you've got like deep-seated shame and anger and bitterness and you're dying to let it go. You just don't know what to do with it. What Jesus says is, bring it to me. I know what to do with it. And then lastly, I know there are people in here, it's like you're going through life and you're the Lord of your own life. And I just wanna ask the simple question, how is that going for you? Could there be something new? So the offer on the table is this. Jesus wants to take you just as you are. He wants to love you right where you're at. But he loves you too much to leave you there. He wants to redeem you, renew you, give you hope and peace. And y'all, beyond that, he wants to give you purpose. Y'all, that's the last thing. If you go and you look at the restoration of Peter, he gives him mercy, but he also gives him mission. Listen, 
as I was preparing this week, somebody I know needs to hear this. Yesterday, we're doing an Easter egg hunt with the little barbarians back there. Tearing the, tearing the place apart, all right? And my daughter, Georgia, is like the least competitive. I don't know where she gets it. She didn't get it from me, all right? So she's just happy, like picking up like one egg. Marius and Jess, their kid, Riley, is dominating, all right? Is just crushing the game, all right? It takes her about 45 seconds to fill up her, her Easter basket. And y'all, this is the gospel picture. Once she gets her basket full, she goes and helps Georgia fill her basket. Listen, for some of you guys, you are missing out. Peter, after Christ was resurrected, he went back in his little boat and he got in his little life. Listen, not all of us are called to do what I'm called to do. In this, and you're not all called to be pastors. That's not what I'm saying. Don't worry, you're not gonna have to move to Africa. But if you are in Christ, he's called you to the mission. And if you don't walk that out and you don't live that out, you're not gonna experience the fullness of what Christ has for you. So for some of you guys, you're in here and you're like, my Christian life is so empty. It's because you're not a part of the mission. And until you get in that and you see somebody else's basket fill up, I'm telling you, it's not gonna be what Christ meant for it to be, okay? So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna go into a time of reflection and I wanna encourage you guys, take a moment and just be in this moment. Listen, I know we got places to be. Uh, I know we've got ham to eat and deviled eggs. I'm gonna eat like 20 of them after this. Okay, those deviled eggs don't know what's coming. Um, but, but here's what I want you to do. I just want you to take a moment and reflect. Reflect on your life. Are you walking with peace? Do you have purpose? Are you a part of the mission? Or do you need to come to Christ to receive peace for your sin? To receive purpose for your life and in the long run, be filled with hope, amen? If the stories are true, it's the most important decision that you can make, amen? Let's stand to our feet all across the room. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for what you've done. And God, I, I pray that right now, Holy Spirit, you would come and just start outlining things for us. So if you're comfortable, just hold your hands out right in front of you. Repeat this after me. Just say, come Holy Spirit. Speak to me. Show me if there's any way in me that offends you or isn't what you want it to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said?
Hey guys, thanks for listening in. I hope that this message blessed you and it helps you in your journey with Jesus. If it did, leave a comment, leave a review. Things like that help us spread the message of Jesus. Uh, if you want to connect with us, the best way to do that is to follow us on Instagram at, at NLC Downtown Little Rock to follow along with the life of our church.